All right, so welcome from Florida, or as I like to call it, America's Thumb, where we just stick our thumb out in the ocean and try to catch a ride on a hurricane, and where Florida man is a real thing, and there are animals that want to eat you. But, so we're going to do something really quickly, because you guys know that um, my favorite activities are hunting, fishing, and spending time with my wife, Jessica. If I'm not hunting and fishing and spending time with my wife, Jessica, I'm spending time with Jessica learning or trying to prepare to hunt and fish. So I need, I need for you to help me to make sure that my wife knows I'm here and I'm not on some hunting trip. So, so when, when I give you the thumbs up, I want everybody in here, I'm going to pan around, I want everybody in here to say, hey, Jessica, and then a big woo. How about that? Can you do that? Yeah. We're going to start over here with the holy section over here where all the folks are. All right. Hey, baby. All right, enough of that foolishness. This is church. All right. All right, turn in your Bibles. If, you're, if you use a, a Bible or in your phone or whatever device you have, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and then 2 Peter. That's where we're going to be today. So I want you to know, students, I want you to know how much we think about you. When I say we, the faculty, the staff, the administration, I want you to know how much we think about you. And I know I like to be funny, but I'm not being funny right now. We have meetings where we talk about you. Even those of you that don't turn in your assignments, we know who you are and we talk, right? But we think about you a lot. And my wife Jessica and I, we hold hands, we pray every morning. We have a, a list of things we pray for. And you, and you, and you, you, plural, second person plural for all you that are taking Greek, y'all, there is a y'all in Greek and a y'all in Hebrew, you all. We pray for you. Some of you that I know closely, I'll pray for you by name. We pray for Dr. Case and Dr. A. We pray for the other professors. We pray for you students. And one of the things I think about when I think about you is I think about the differences between when I was in college. I went to Lee University. It was Lee College when I started. I managed to cram a four-year degree into eight years. It was Lee University by the time I got out. And I think about all the things that, that they were preparing me for when I was at Lee completely different from the things that we're preparing you for now. And I think about your generation and what you're going through versus my generation. So here is what's waiting on you when you graduate from this place and you start to take our place, right? Me, Dr. A, Pastor Tim, some of us, we're playing the back nine, right? We're, we're looking like we are one bad day away from cashing in our 401k and never coming back, right? So that's... <laughs> That's, that's where we are. You're not there. You just got to worry about paying college loans off. So you're, you're here, right? But I think about what's going to be waiting on you when, you when you leave this place based on what we're seeing now. So here's what's waiting on you. The impact of mass confusion over gender is creating a generation that doesn't know who they are, doesn't know why they exist, or how to heal from this huge lie of the enemy. Part of this lie is the over-feminization of men, the over-masculization of women, and you, you, when you start ministering and you start, taking, you start taking our place, you'll be the ones that will be ministering to these people that are facing the consequences of, of, of getting outside of their traditional gender roles and how that impacts the family. Related to this is a whole generation of men that are listening to the Andrew Tates of the world and are over-correcting towards a masculinization that is just as unhealthy as the feminization of men. 
your generation will have to deal with the consequences of neo-racism. If you don't know what that is, that's racism that discriminates against the majority in order to uplift the minority. Two wrongs don't make a right, but that's what we're doing. You'll have to deal with a society that is more fractured than at any time in our nation's history. And people who are in a state of disunity as people devolve into tribalism based on politics or race or sexuality. You'll be ministering to a generation that's suspicious of denominationalism. So if you become ordained and you minister in, in a denomination, you'll have to explain that to people because they'll see denominationalism as a sign of, of, of bad authority. That's what's waiting on you. You'll have to deal with a generation. Now, you listen to me. If you're 18, 20 years old in this room, you've had access to social media your entire life. You don't remember the days of AOL dial-up. You don't remember the days when you would go to the airport and you would sit there and either read or talk to other people. You don't remember the days when car rides were just about singing songs over and over on the radio, right? You've had electronics, you've had internet, and you've had social media. Well, guess what? When you start ministering in your context, you'll have to deal with a generation of women who have spent their entire life addicted to attention from social media and men who have spent their entire lives addicted to pornography. And here's the worst. And listen, I say this to you in all Christian love. I really do. Here's the worst. Your generation is going to have to deal with people who had the worst music in the American experience. Look, I'm 52 years old. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, you don't like my music because you're old. Look, two things can be true at the same time. I can be old and your music can stink, right? <laughs> Both of those things can be true. I don't understand anything anybody says. Everybody wants to be little this or little that. And bro, I don't even know what a Doja Cat is, right? <laughs> now, I don't mean to be negative, but based on current cultural trends, that's what's waiting on you when you get out of this place. And I think to sum it all up, I think that this generation will have to minister to people that have a false identity. Your ministry to this current generation will be one that revolves around identity. And in my opinion, we have a global identity crisis. So let's look at God's Word, and let's see what God's Word says about identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 16. I'm reading from the ESV. Paul writes, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We, have, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that lives and abides forever. I pray that you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Pray, God, that you would speak through me today. I pray that you would send revival to this place, that lights a fire 
in the state of New York that spreads into Canada and Massachusetts and Maine and Rhode Island and that spreads down the East Coast, right, right here, here, God. Send revival here. Lord Jesus, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, for you are my strength and my redeemer. We pray this in the name of Jesus who lives forever. Amen. So your generation is not the only generation that, is experiencing a, that experiences or has experienced an identity crisis. I had my own identity crisis when I was six years old. I'm going to tell you that story. Um, the story means a lot to me now because my sister passed away not even a month ago. Uh, died of a sudden stroke. Didn't have any uh, risk factors for a stroke uh, other than she had, you know, had the COVID vaccine and the boosters, which make you hypercoagulable. So that was really the only thing that, that she had. Died of a massive stroke. Um, but in that moment, I was able to uh, share the gospel with her kids. Her, she has twin boy and a girl. They accepted Jesus, and we walked out into the Atlantic Ocean, and I baptized my, my niece and nephew. But in that whole process of trying to work through uh, my sister's death, I remembered a story from when I was six years old. She was three years older than me. So when I was six, she was nine. And I remember I came to my sister when I was six years old, and I said, Angela, I have something to tell you. I have superpowers. I can fly, and I can shoot lasers from my eyes. And I will never forget my sister, who was only nine years old, speaking such wisdom into my life. She looked at me, and she said, Shut up, stupid. You don't have superpowers. <laughs> to which I replied, Yeah, huh? To which she replied, Okay, well, why don't you climb on top of the house and then jump off and then everyone can see how stupid you are because you don't have superpowers. Well, my sister loved me enough to not buy into the lie that I had told myself about my identity and thankfully I did not jump off of the house, which she would have loved uh, and would have told stories about that forever. But in this passage that I just read to you, Paul makes two monumental statements about our identity that flies in the face of what the world wants to tell you about who you are. The first one is in verse 17. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is the first identity statement in this passage, and it is a radical idea. Paul says that if you are in Christ, in Christ means that you have accepted what Jesus did on the cross for you, and you have placed your faith in him, you have repented of your sins, and you are now a child of God. So if you are in Christ, what Paul says is that you are a new creation. And this passage, what he's saying here, that you're a new creation, is the essence of the Christian testimony. Now, what is the Christian testimony? It is, I am not who I want to be. I'm not who I ought to be. I'm not what I will be. But praise God, I'm not what I used to be. I am a new creation. So what Paul is saying here is that as a new creation, you're no longer defined by your past, and you are certainly not defined by what the world tells you because you are a new creation. Now, because I'm a theology professor, I think new creation means at least four things. So let's talk about those four things really quickly. Number one, to be a new creation means that you belong to Christ. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19 says, you have been ransomed. You guys know what a ransom is? You're kidnapped, somebody pays a fee, and you get, you get to go back to your parents, right? You're rent, you've been purchased. You have been ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. You are not the world's anymore. He bought 
and paid for you when he spread his arms out and he said tetelestai, when he said it is paid in full, he purchased you and you're his property now. So as a new creation, you belong to Jesus. Number two, a new creation lives in the sphere of Christ's power. Ephesians 3, 20, 21 says, Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work, where? Within us. A new creation is empowered by Christ to live according to the statutes of God's kingdom and not the statutes of this world. You live in the sphere of Christ's power. Number three, a new creation is united with Christ. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in death like his, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. As a new creation, you are joined at the soul level to Jesus, where you will die to your flesh just like Jesus died in his flesh, but you will be resurrected the same way Jesus was resurrected. You are united with Christ, heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. Number four, being a new creation means that you are part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, in that whole, or 1 Corinthians 12, in that whole discourse, Paul makes the case that we are, quote, the body of Christ. As new creatures, we weren't created in isolation or to live as isolated beings. We have been created in community. So a new creation is not just an individual identity. You are not just saved to be alone. You are saved into the church and into the community. I heard it said recently that, um, that, that you can try to be a Christian and not go to church, but it's so much easier to be a Christian and go to church. Why? Because you're surrounded by other believers. You're surrounded by these other dysfunctional people who look in the mirror and are disappointed in what they see, but you come together and you worship Jesus together and you learn things about your identity and who you are and who Jesus is and who God is, right? That's what it means to be part of a community. So to be a new creation means that you belong to Christ, you live in the sphere of Christ's power, you are united with Christ, and you are a part of the body of Christ. And I want to just point out here, if you are a new creation, you're not a refurbished creation, right? If you say to me, I bought you a brand new truck, not that it matters, but it's probably a 2023 Chevrolet Silverado, right? Let's just be honest. That's what Jesus would drive if Jesus were on earth today. Got some amens from the 50-year-olds over here. You just need to get with the program, right? And you said, I got you a new truck, Richard. Let's go look at it. And you took me to the parking lot, and it was the, it was the antique truck across the street over here. I'd be like, bro, thank you, but that ain't a new truck. New doesn't mean refurbished. New doesn't mean remodeled. New doesn't mean fixed up. New doesn't mean that a coat of paint has been slapped on it. New means brand new. We sang a song today about God's new mercies. Did you know that when the Bible says God's mercies are new every morning, it just doesn't mean that his, his mercies are reinvigorated for the new morning. It means that brand new mercies await you every single morning. You're not just a refurbished piece in God's community. You're a new creature and a new creation. So the first part of your identity that you need to know from this passage that I read in 2 Corinthians is that you, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, are a new creature. Even if you don't feel like it, you're a new creature. 
Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if I were to talk to all of you individually and I were to say, explain the gospel to me, probably all of you would say something about Jesus dying on the cross and paying a penalty for our sins. But that's only half the gospel. This is the other half of the gospel. In the wake of this generation's current identity crisis, the passage in 2 Corinthians gives us the other half of the gospel. The first half, Jesus as the perfect Lamb of God died a death we deserve suffered a penalty that we owe and purchased us to telestide, purchased our freedom. That's the first part of the transaction. There's two transactions that take, take place under the gospel in salvation. The first transaction is Jesus paid for your sins. And here's the second part. He takes our unrighteousness and imputes to us, there's a word that Pastor Tim's going to teach you in, in Theology 1, probably. He imputes his righteousness, making you, making you the righteousness of God. It's a two-part transaction. In the first part, he takes. In the second part, he gives. This is the ultimate expression of your identity. Not only does God not see what you used to be, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And here's some great news. If you remember the story in the Gospels when Jesus came up out of the water from baptism, the Father speaks and everyone hears it. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And here's the great news for you. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are a new creation, and when God looks at you, he does not see your sin. He sees Jesus. And we know that there's no possible way, no possible way that the Father could ever be dissatisfied with His Son. And if He looks at you and He sees the Son, then He is not dissatisfied with you. Your identity is not what you used to be. And your identity is not what you see in the mirror. Your identity is not the things that you think about that you know you shouldn't think about. Your identity is ultimately that Jesus died for you and he took your sinfulness and in place of your sinfulness, he imputed his righteousness to you so that when you look in the mirror, if you see what God sees, you don't even see yourself. You see Jesus and Jesus is ultimately the righteous man that changes us and that renews us, and that makes us that new creature. There's no possible way that God can look at you and say, I'm dissatisfied in you. Now, that's not to say there's not such a thing as obedience, that we don't have to obey God. It's not, it's not to say that a good father doesn't discipline his kids. But what I'm talking about is when God looking at you and what your identity is, he sees Jesus. Now, there's another way to look at this passage. I want you to move over to, to 2 Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power 
has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption of the world because of sinful desire. Paul says that we have been made the righteousness of God. And he isn't just talking about putting new paint on an old board. And then Peter lets us know that the righteousness that's imputed comes from the inside out. Holiness isn't pressed from the outside in. Holiness is pressed from the inside out. You can't wear the right thing and push holiness in. You can't follow certain rules and push holiness in. You can't wear your hair a certain way and push holiness in. But when holiness is in and holiness begins to be pushed out, then you change the things you do and the things you watch and the things you listen to and the things you wear and the things you think about. But you can't make it happen from the outside in. And Peter says that we become partakers, participants. The word is actually participants participants in the divine nature and your identity is now as one who possesses the very nature of God in 2nd Corinthians 5 Paul is making a case about your legal identity through justification and in 2nd Peter 1 3 4 Peter's talking about the transformation of your practical identity through sanctification How great is it that God takes it upon himself to make us righteous and then make us holy? He does it all. So I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, Whoever is closing out, we're going to land this plane. I'll tell you a story from John chapter 4. You know the story. Jesus tells the disciples, I have to go through Samaria, which was a pretty radical idea. If you take the Gospel of John, somebody will explain it to you. He gets to the well, hanging out by himself. A woman comes up in the middle of the day. Jesus has this great interaction with her that ends with him saying that, that I'm the living water. And then she runs back to town and she says, come meet a man that told me everything I did. Right? So that's the woman at the well is what we call that story. And when you think about that story, you think about that woman. Her biggest problem was that she had a counterfeit identity. The Samaritan religion was close to Judaism, but it was a counterfeit. She was a mistress pretending to be a wife. She was an outcast among her peers, and she came to get water in the middle of the day to avoid them. She had bought into a lie about who God is, how to worship God, how to have relationships with other people. She had bought into a lie about her sexuality, her worth, and whether or not she even mattered and then Jesus let her know that the lie about her identity that she had bought from her culture would leave her perpetually thirsty but in him and only him could she have eternal satisfaction guys you've been lied to this world and this culture and the influencers whatever that is have lied to you and you've been told that you are only what people see on social media. And dude, that's not even you because you use filters, right? You've been lied to. 
Men, you have been told that you are incapable of controlling your sexual urges and you might as well accept that you're addicted to pornography. That's what the world tells you. That's what our culture tells you. That's what really important, really popular people tell you. You've been told that you're the opposite of the way God made you. And you've been told that you aren't good enough. And the only way to be good enough is to do more stuff. And anybody that stands here or that teaches in an Elam classroom or that pastors a church where you go to church that stands up here, opens the Bible, and tells you that the only way to accept it by God is to do more stuff. I want you to pick your stuff up. I want you to tell everybody to have a great day. And I want you to leave. Because Paul said in Galatians that if me, Paul, a super apostle, by the way, the guy, the theologian among all the apostles, Paul said if an angel, if me or an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel, then that which I've given to you, let him be accursed. So if you hear any other gospel, if you hear anybody else tell you that you are anything other than a new creature and the righteousness of God in Christ, then pick your stuff up and leave because you're in the wrong place. Jesus said that you've not only been made into a new creature, but you are a partaker of God's divine nature and imputed with the righteousness of God. Jesus says that in him... God is fully satisfied in you. And he no longer sees your past, but he's focused on your future. Now, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I was ordained in the church of God. Ended up in a, a different church. I go to a non-denominational church now. So they don't have the, the, the history and the tradition of the things that are typically preached in a Pentecostal church. If that makes sense to you, then, then you know what I'm talking about. So when I started attending this church, my pastor, who I love, He's a great preacher, probably the best preacher I've ever heard. He talks about 2 Corinthians 5 all the time. And I'm going to use his terminology here. And he says it all the time. And it's kind of his thing. That in Christ, God is fully satisfied in you. And that's, boy, that's hard for somebody that grew up in legalism to hear. Someone that grew up in a church that said you got to wear certain things and you got to do, like, that was, that was hard for me to hear. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, but God wants you to give him his best. No, stupid. Jesus is God's best. Stop saying stuff like that because that's another gospel. And Paul says if you preach another gospel, you should be accursed, right? So here's what I want to do today. I have been told that if I keep this place, if I keep you in this place beyond 12, that I'll be preaching to myself. So I'm going to do something that we rarely do. And we're going to end it here. What I want for you, what I want for all of you, what I want is for you to look in the mirror and not see you. I want you to see what God sees. With all my heart, when Jessica and I hold hands and we pray for you, we talk about your identity. We say, God, help these students understand who they are, who you want them to be. And if I ever get a chance to preach here again, I'm probably going to preach a message just like this. Because that's what I want for you. God's called me. You, you, did you know that you, you reflect the, the, the chief outlet for the divine call on my life? You, thousands of miles away from St. Augustine or where, I don't know how far it is. It's several hours on a plane ride. But you reflect the thing that God has called me to do the most. And I love you. And I love you enough to tell you that the world's lying to you. Instagram's lying to you, ladies. 
If you're addicted to attention, you're going to go into a relationship wanting attention, and he can never love you the way Instagram does. Men, if, if, if your primary outlet for, for, for entertainment is to watch pornography, and listen, there's pornography on Instagram too. Instagram knows you're a dude, and it's going to show you the stuff that it wants you to see. If you try to take that into a relationship, you're going to ruin your marriage because that ain't what sexuality is. I'm telling you, I love you. I want you to see that Jesus has given you a new identity, and I want you to walk in the freedom of that identity. So if you'll stand with me, I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, there's not one thing that we could do to earn salvation. That's what the law was about. The law was to show us that we can't do it. So you did it for us. You became a man. You died a death that we deserve. You paid a price that we owe. You took our sin. And you didn't stop there. You took our sin and then you imputed your righteousness. So when the Father looks at us, He sees righteousness. And then you went another step. You placed your Holy Spirit in us. You make us partakers of your divine nature and you make us holy from the inside out. And if we lived a thousand lives and never sinned again, we wouldn't deserve any of that. Father, I pray for these students. I pray for the professors. I pray for the administration, the staff. God, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would show them who they are in you, and that you would be glorified. We ask all this in the strong name of Jesus who lives forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.